where you can be by faith because of what he's done for you on the cross. If you don't know that, then you can find out this morning. You can. You can make that decision. You can do it where you're seated right now. Maybe you've done it recently and need to make it public. Maybe you're ready to follow Christ in baptism. But you can be where God is. And what a tremendous song. Thank you so much. Well, I'm going to introduce the sermon series. We've been emphasizing over the, or we are since the first of the year, emphasizing uh, family. And we spent five or six Sundays talking about our family as in our household family. You know, husbands and wives. We talked about moms and dads. We discussed children. And uh, we had several messages on each one of those components of our homes. And I pray that God did some special things, built up some things in our homes, challenged us to draw closer as husband and wife. We kind of ran some things simultaneous to this sermon series in our equip groups on marriage uh, with our uh, family life series uh, uh, equip group on the active marriage. And I enjoyed that immensely, meeting with about, oh, 18 or so couples in our church, going through some marriage lessons together. So we we, I think we got the year started off, as far as the year of the family, in the right place. Talking about what's most important to us on this earth, and that is the gift of a wife, the gift of children. Our families will not be, our church will not be any stronger than our families are strong spiritually. And so, personally, as pastor, I sense that we needed a lot of work there. Still feel like we, we need a lot of work. I know our family uh, is not there yet, but I know this, that without growth in our homes, without moms and dads getting more active in the raising of their children, without dads getting more protective of their family, and all of what the world is coming at our homes with, we are going to struggle as a church. We've got to have strong homes, and so we emphasize that in this year of the family. Now what I'd like to do, and I'll do this all year long, just different different approaches to it, what I'd like to do now for the next few weeks, five Sundays before Easter Sunday, in other words, we've got five, including this Sunday, We've got five Sundays before Easter Sunday. Kind of Easter comes kind of late this year. And so I'm going to take the next five Sundays. And what I'd like to do is talk about our, our church family. And we're going to look at our future together as a faith family. We're going to look at some things in Scripture that have to do with our Sunday morning congregation service. Our celebration service right here where we gather together every week at 1030 And there are others, last week, close to 150 that gathered at 6.30, and we come together to do what? Why are we here? Well, I'm not so sure that I have not, through the years, failed in that area to an extent. I think I had good intentions. I think there are times when, when we are taught something and we just do what we're taught. The danger is oftentimes... We have to grow and we have to learn that if something is not based in the Bible, if something is not scripturally uh, found in the Word of God, then it's just a preference and it's just something we could do or or not do. It's for surely not going to be upset if somebody does it or doesn't do it because it is not in Scripture. And there are some things that I think we, I, have potentially, as I look back over my ministry, I, I see some areas that I, I, of success and, some, and blessing, and, and then I see some other areas where, God, thank you for, for helping me to see those areas and, and to really desire to grow in that area as a pastor and to become successful in some areas that I feel like maybe my leadership has failed. And so the series title for the next five weeks is simply this, What Brings the Glory Down in the Church? 
What brings the glory down in the church? Now let me make this statement before I begin. I, I believe that Christians have a way, I know that I have a way sometimes, of, of crouching in my own culture instead of penetrating the, the one that I live in with the gospel. I tend to just kind of feel like I want my little thing and what makes me comfortable, forgetting that my little world, my little comfort zone in my little Christian world is, is, is probably going to be really strange to anybody that doesn't know Jesus. And so what happens is, is we come to church and, and, and we kind of get pleased ourselves and, and we sort of get what we want and what we ordered and sometimes we'll hop around till we find a church that we're, we're super comfortable in that just sort of maybe sings the songs that we like to be sung or maybe the order of service is the, the order that we like or the length of the message that's a big one, you know. He preaches way too long or he preaches way too short. We're not really, we don't really care about what he preaches. It's more and more concerned about the length of the sermon than the content of the message. And so we look for a church that kind of fits the bill, kind of fits us. And we settle in there until finally we find out, you know what, this is another church that really, they got a few things that we don't agree with. So we'll go find another church. And it's said that most uh, Christians attend seven or eight different churches in their lifetime, often in the same city. And so that's sad to me. That's, that's, to me, that's Ichabod. That's, uh, that's an epic failure on the part of potentially a church, a pastor, a leader teaching his flock exactly what it is that brings the glory down in the church. Because church, let me tell you something. Here's what I've come to the conclusion of that I've never really thought about and never preached and never taught and never shared with you. Why are we here? Why have we come together? Because honestly, if it's any other reason then that God's glory would be manifested in this place in a super powerful way every Sunday morning and every Sunday night. That's when we meet. I don't, if we met on Saturday night, I would say Saturday night. I would include that. If we met on Sunday afternoon, I would say Sunday afternoon. But for now, it's 10.30 and 6 o'clock. And, and the goal is that God, every week that we come together as a congregation, would more than ever before in the, in the week. I mean, Unlike any other time in the whole week, more than when we're in our car by ourselves listening to our favorite song and going, woo-hoo-hoo, wow, I love that song. And then we come to church and more than in the car, more than in the shower where you sing and praise and more than than when you're, you know, uh, walking through Walmart and and, and just kind of having a good time, you know, maybe singing a song. More than that, when we come together, several hundred of us in the same building, in the same room, listen, church, we want the glory to come down. We want God to meet with us. We don't want to be stoic. We don't want to stand like statues and feel as if, you know, oh, I, I don't know if I, what I should do here. Uh, I don't like that. I, I like that. I'm not sure if I like. And, 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 no, no, wait a minute. The glory coming down in a church is God's presence manifested in a real way. It's unusual. And that's my burden over the next five weeks. I just hope I could do it justice. I don't think I will, but I'll try. Our theme verse will be Isaiah 64, verse 1. Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down at thy presence. I've got to be honest with you, church. I believe that God's manifest presence and his consuming power ought to be the, the, the desire of every single church member of everyone who sings in this ministry, of the preacher who preaches, it ought to be that we desire God's manifest presence in this service. 
So let's get with it. Let's talk about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I want to talk to you about the first thing that brings the glory down in the church. And I believe the first thing is probably not going to be as exciting for me to preach as it, or nor will it be as exciting for you to listen to. I want to say a word to our guest. If we have some guests here today or folks that, first of all, if you're, if you're a guest who is looking at potentially becoming a member of our church, this is going to be a five great messages for you because you're getting in on uh, five sermons where you can say, okay, all right, this is the direction of the church. This is the future. This is kind of where the pastor, God is leading the, 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 the pastors of our church, the leadership of of our church. This is exciting. I'm in on it. If you're a guest and this is your first time and, and or maybe you're not a believer and not a follower of Christ, just sort of interested in kind of finding out what this thing is all about, I want to ask you to, to listen. We will preach the gospel. You will, hear, you will hear the gospel and you will find out what we're all about, but I want you to listen in and learn some things maybe for the very first time. Because I believe the first thing that brings the glory down in the church, or at least the first thing that I'm going to talk about is the preaching of God's word. The preaching of God's word. Now, who am I? Well, I, I'm a Christian first. I am. That's my first and foremost responsibility is to be a Christian. And I spend all of my life trying to be the best Christian that I can be, 24-7. I mean, that's something that I should not take a time out from. You know, I mean, I am a Christian above all things. I'm a Christ follower, whether I'm preaching God's word or not preaching God's word. Secondly, I, I, I'm a husband second. I'm learning that more and more as the days go on, that my, my great responsibility relationally is to be a husband to my wife, Carol Ann. We had a great time this week. We went down to Louisiana. We both spoke together at a couple's retreat. My, my, I, amazing some of, the, some of the things that the people talked about uh, to me after I spoke. The couples, we have a lot of hurting couples in this world, in our church as well. Uh, folks that are just struggling, and when we unloaded everything that we were able to teach them, uh, it, was, it was amazing the things that, that God did in helping to bring husbands and wives closer together and getting their priorities right and putting their marriage in the right place in their lives. So I'm a husband. Second, thirdly, I'm a dad. I'm a father. I'm a, I'm a dad. I, I, I love being a dad. I love it. And I spend uh, a lot of my time investing in my children and hanging out with my kids. And last night was Rocky's Pizza. Amen. Right, guys? And I uh, love Rocky's Pizza. And uh, we had a great time having a pizza party at the house. You say, who'd you invite over? Nobody, just us, all right? Had a great time. Uh, and just, just having fun, watching basketball games, spending time together, hanging out. Sometimes we talked, sometimes we didn't talk. We were just together. It was family time last night. I, I'm beginning to feel less and less bad that I'm at home. God's working on my heart. I used to feel like if I'm at home, I need to be at the church doing something. I'm lazy. I'm not earning my keep. Now when I'm home, I feel like I'm helping you more than I was before. I'm loving my family. I'm being a dad. I'm a dad, third. But then I'm a pastor, fourth. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm preaching every time I'm pastoring, but I, I, I pastor a church. I, so I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a dad. Or rather, I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a pastor. But let me tell you something. If you put the time invested, the education that I've received in different colleges, and even just finishing up a master's online at Liberty, I've invited... I've invested, no doubt, the majority of my life, a large majority of the time in my life, to this one single thing, and that is preaching, preaching God's Word. I got to thinking this week about how many thousands of messages I've preached and how many tens of thousands, tens of thousands of hours that I've preached, and then multiply that by five or ten hours per sermon, and you're talking about years, years cumulatively speaking, of preparation time to preach God's Word. 
just this message was hours of preparation on Cynthia's desk Monday morning, typed out, ready to go to Brother Charlie to deepen it, to go to the small groups, and then throughout the week honing in, studying, uh, looking at the notes, saying, let's put this, let's take that out, let's, let's fix that. Let's, I mean, working this message, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's amazing when I got to thinking about it, how much of my life is wrapped up in preaching, in delivering, in proclaiming God's word. But for a long time, I think I was listening to the wrong voices. I traveled a lot. I preached at a lot of places. Used to preach 52 times a year. Once every week I would be in a plane traveling somewhere. Yes, I am a million miler with Delta. Way over a million miles. And that's not bragging. That's saying I spent too much time preaching in places, to be honest, I didn't really care about if I preached or not. You see, when you go preach at places, you can just preach five or six, maybe ten sermons. You know, you take your best sermons, right? I mean, that makes sense. And, and, there's, that's, and that's true. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's nothing like preaching at gospel light. You see, at gospel light, it's, this is my life. This is, this is where I, I love to preach. This is where I want to always have fresh bread and something new and something exciting and something that can meet the needs of our church. And so I got off the road. And I think I realized over a period of time that I had been listening to the wrong voices. Listening and preaching messages really not completely based in Scripture, just kind of man's opinion. Not always having a, a, a verse to back up what I was saying. Just This is just a standard or this is a belief. And, and I would preach it and, and there would be people in our church that, man, they would, they would run around the building if I said three letters. K-J-V. Those three letters got more out of people than somebody getting saved, than the gospel. You could preach the death, burial, and resurrection. It's totally silent. You could preach on a certain garment that a woman shouldn't wear, and people are standing on the pews. And recently, God got a hold of my heart in the past few years, and I realized that's messed up. I don't think I did a lot of things intentionally, and I know I didn't do things uh, to an extreme because I'm a saved Roman Catholic altar boy. Everybody okay with that? I wasn't raised in a preacher's home. I never met Lester Olaf, and I'm okay with that. The more I study him, he's weird, okay? <laughs> Nobody knew who his wife was, and, and she, was, she was a loony that took pills. I mean, I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just saying I'm okay that I didn't know Lester Roloff, okay? I didn't know him. Sorry. I'm a, I'm a saved Roman Catholic altar boy. That's who your pastor is. Okay? I, 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 uh, I don't brag about, look who signed my Bible. Can you believe this? This is incredible, you know? Who cares who signs your Bible? It's all about Jesus Christ. It's not about a man's name. And so... God has really been working me over, church, and I hope over the next five weeks you won't miss a Sunday because you're going to hear my personal testimony each week for the next five Sundays in, in particular areas of my ministry that are changing and becoming more biblical, and I hope you'll appreciate that. And so <clears throat> we're going to go through this morning five questions, five questions all right out of the scripture about preaching. That's what we're going to do. That's going to be our study. Five questions about preaching the word of God. Because it is preaching. It is one of the things that brings the glory down is preaching. I, I, I had 
no particular order in which these had to be preached, but this is the order I'm, I'm going to choose to preach them in. Number one, preaching. So let's look at our notes. Five questions about preaching. Number one, what is preaching? What is it? Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 2, shall we, real quick? And we'll just look at our text and go to the Bible. That's what we're doing, verse by verse. Here we go. And I, who's the I there? Paul. Who's Paul writing to? The church at what? Corinth. This is a letter. He's not speaking to them in the pulpit. He's not speaking to them in a public gathering. He's writing them a letter, but he begins by saying, and I, by the way, let me just say this. The church he's writing to, this church was a carnal church, a worldly church, a sexually immoral church, a materialistic church. It was a divisive church. I'm thankful today that our church isn't like that, although I think probably some of those things exist in our church. But it's not like that. We're not known for those things. This church was known for these things. And Paul said, I, brethren, when I came to you, remember when I came to you, he said, I came not. I didn't come with excellency of speech. That word excellency means lofty, lofty speech. You know, you hear a lot of that today in pulpits and across the, the, the landscape of churches, you know, the, the preacher that gets up and everything's just a perfect, and God bless you, oh, oh, oh. it's good to be here this morning to open up God's word and to share precious truths with you, my flock. You know what I feel about that preacher? Get the steeple out of your throat and be a normal person. Hey, listen, we ought not Try, we ought not to be trying to be more lofty. We ought to be trying to be more humble. It's not about getting high, folks. It's about getting low. And, and some of you that smoke marijuana, I didn't mean that kind of high. It's not about getting high. It's about getting low. Lofty speech. He said, I didn't come uh, at you with, with my degrees and with my uh, uh, you know, eloquence and excellency. So that you could walk out of the building and say, oh my. Brother Eric is so smart. He said five words I didn't understand. So cool. Who cares? You know? Paul said, I didn't come at you like that. I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. That's what I came doing. I came declaring the testimony of God. Uh, what is the testimony of God? Well, if you flip back a page to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look at verse 17. Paul's still speaking, writing here rather. He says, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of non-effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us, by the way, that's us. Everybody okay? That's us. That's you and me. But unto us which are saved. Who's saved here today? Okay, about a dozen. Good. We're going to have a great invitation. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. But unto us that are saved, it is the power of God. Paul said, that's what I came preaching. I came preaching the cross. I came preaching the gospel. That's what matters. That's what's powerful. That's what changes lives. Not waxing eloquent. Preaching is the message of God, the testimony of God proclaimed. 
The Greek word for preaching is caruso. It means to herald. It means to uh, announce, to publicly proclaim. It is used 112 times in Scripture. Let me give you a few. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. And this is, this is out up here. The TV is out, so I'll look up here. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice the word preach there. You see it? I'm going to just read you these verses, one after the other. But please notice the word preach. By the way, what does that say? That's speaking from that time, Jesus began to preach. So what was Jesus? He was a, he was a preacher. Jesus was a preacher. Make no mistake about it. Mark 3, 14. And he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Luke 4, 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Acts 5, 42. And daily in the temple and in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 9, 16. For though I Preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. Colossians 1.28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. So preaching is what? It's announcing the message. Now, it was the message of Jesus and of all the apostles, and it's still the message today. Amen? Now, the way that message is heralded will be different. The way that I preach is a result potentially and probably and most likely of some of the influence of preachers that I've listened to. There's all kinds of preaching. But I came under the influence of different preachers. I was told that anybody that wasn't an an independent fundamental Baptist was not right. So I never listened to them, ever. Ever. I wouldn't let any of them in our church. Because that's what I was taught, but I found out differently. And I went to hear a man named Adrian Rogers preach, and he taught me some things. And I thought, wow, this guy, he's okay. And then I went and asked one of my preacher friends about him, and he said, you shouldn't listen to him. He's not right in some areas, and, and he's not independent Baptist. And so what happened to me is I began to say, yes, he is. And something's wrong. Different styles of preaching. Some people wear coats and ties when they preach. Some people don't wear ties. Some people wear blue jeans. Bottom line is, if you're proclaiming God's word, you're my friend. Watch a few guys, watch a few guys preach God's word right now. You'll, you'll enjoy this. We'll start off with Adrian Rogers. Let you see him. He was my hero. Now I'm going to ask you today to give your heart to Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you today to trust Jesus Christ and him alone to save you. I'm going to ask you just to give your life to him by faith. And if you do, he will forgive your sins. He will come into your heart and give you a new nature. And one day he'll take you to heaven to be with him. But I am telling you today, friend, that God brought you here to this place to be saved. And he will save you today. And he will save you and keep you saved forever. What should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world? and lose his own soul. Yes, and this choice is very urgent. To delay makes the right decision harder. Indecision is itself a choice. Not to decide is to decide not to. Choose now. Nowhere in the Bible does it promise a tomorrow. 
come while you can. Time itself makes the decision for you if you don't. You say, but what do I have to do? Three things. You must be willing to repent of your sin. That means to change your way of thinking about your sins and realize how bad they are in the sight of God. Change your way you're thinking about God and say, I love him and I'm going to love him with all my heart, mind, and soul. I'm going to make him the priority of my life. I'm going to put him first from now on. He's going to be not only my Savior, but my Lord. You may be a member of the church. You may not be a member of any church. You may be an officer in the church, but you're not sure about your relationship with Christ and you want to be sure. And you must be willing to repent. And secondly, by faith, receive Christ into your heart. That means you put your whole weight on him and trust him and him alone. And thirdly, you follow and serve him as his disciple and follower and obey him. Maybe one of the reasons so many people in the church aren't making disciples of all nations is because they're not really disciples in the first place. You think about Jesus and his disciples from the very beginning to the very end. Making disciples was in the DNA of this thing, right? To be a disciple involved making disciples. Follow me, Matthew 4, and I will, what? I'll make you fishers of men. Very end. Go, make disciples of all nations. As those disciples were standing on that mountaintop, do you think that they had to be cajoled into going? No. And Jesus had to rein them in. Say, the last thing we need is you guys out there alone. Just wait for the Spirit. Peter, you'll blow this thing from the stop. Start. Just wait. Let him come down and then everything will be good. 2 Corinthians 4 says, we can see the glory of God in the countenance of Jesus. I am persuaded, theologically, philosophically, and even socially persuaded, that if we could see the face of Jesus properly, it would change the way we see ourselves, and it would change the way we see our city. What if... What if you knew you were perpetually, permanently approved by God? And the scriptures teach that as Jesus goes into that place, this is such so amazing, it's really God's favor. He goes up to this one man who had a condition 38 years. Now, I'm not celebrating this man's trouble. But the fact that he had a condition 38 years is encouraging to me and I know it's encouraging to you because it lets us know that it does not matter how long we've been struggling with a condition. At any moment, Jesus is able to break cycles that we couldn't break for 38 years. And I want you to know it does not matter how long you've been dealing with a cycle, how many times you've tried to break it and been unable to stop. When Jesus steps in the room, Jesus is able to break cycles that we could not break our entire lives. Amen. There's some preaching for you. You say, wait a minute, I didn't see Baptist in every single one of those names. I know, it's okay. They're preaching the gospel. You say, well, Brother Eric, I'm, I'm going to stay here. Good, I need you. I like your preaching better. That, that makes me feel good. And if you don't, that's okay too, really. I'm not in competition. 
I think one reason why preachers are afraid for you to hear other preachers is you might like them more. I'm simply trying to teach our church something about preaching and the glory of God. We're not jealous of preaching in this place. We love preaching packaged all kinds of different ways and all kinds of different preachers. Thank God for the preaching of God's word. What is preaching? It is proclaiming a message. Who do we preach? Who do we preach? That's the next question. Who do we preach? All right, let's find out who we preach. It's real simple. It's in verse 2. Look at it. For I determined, I like that, I determined. Paul was serious about this. He says, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's what I've worked at. That's what I've labored at. That's been my whole purpose in life is to preach Jesus, not my opinion, And I've determined to do this. It's not easy. In other words, it's hard. You have to work at it because a lot of men want to get you to go this way and and preach this philosophy and preach this little, uh, you know, go down this rabbit trail and and, and preach this opinion. But you preach Jesus and him crucified. So there's three parts to this message Paul said. He said, first of all, notice in verse number one, he said, I declare unto you the testimony of God. Then he said in verse number two, I I determined not to know anything among you but Jesus Christ. So the testimony of God is what we preach. We preach Jesus Christ, and then finally we preach him crucified. So what is the testimony of God? It is, the testimony of God is the word of God. The testimony of God is God speaking out his story. That's what it is. This entire Bible is the testimony of God, amen? So anywhere that I preach inside This book is the testimony of God. I'm okay if I'm in this book. And then he says, more specifically, it's preaching about the Son of God. Yes, it's the testimony of God. We're probably going to spend a little bit more time in the Gospels than we are in Leviticus. Amen? Aren't you glad? So more specifically, it's Jesus Christ. And then let's go a step further. It's him crucified. Hey, the Gospel is the bullseye of everything we preach. Billy Graham had it right. Billy Graham gave his life to the gospel. Thus, there were times he preached to one million people. One million. But what did he always preach? He had one message. He had the message of the gospel. He just preached it a few uh, months ago on television, and thousands are coming to Christ to this day. As a 95-year-old man still preaching the gospel, he's a hero of the faith. Who do we preach? We preach Christ, not people. Not people. The who of preaching is Jesus Christ and him crucified. We do not have the power in ourselves to do anything that I teach you in this pulpit. It is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. You cannot live the Christian life. That's what the message is all about. It's about Jesus Christ is the power to do the things that God, God's word commands us to do. We can't do this on our own. So we preach Jesus because it's Jesus who gives us the power to do what God's word says to do. We try to do it on our own to keep rules and, 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 do, and make people happy and please so-and-so. And, and, and Well, I do it because you know, I don't want to get in trouble. And You can't do right because you don't want to get in trouble. The only way you can do the right thing is to do it in the power of Jesus Christ. You see, Christianity is not a faith of try harder. It's a faith of Jesus did. Jesus did. 
That's why we sing, you are stronger, you are stronger. Sin is broken. You have saved me. It is written. He is risen. Christ is risen from the dead. You are stronger. God is stronger. We come to this building to celebrate Jesus. Not to celebrate you or me, but to celebrate Jesus, to lift his name up, to praise his name. When we come to church, it ought to be a praise service for Jesus. A cheerleading session for Jesus. Jesus is performing. Jesus is working. The Holy Spirit is moving. He's hitting a three-point shot. He's dunking the basketball. Why are we jumping up and cheering for Jesus? We do other places. Why don't we cheer for Jesus more than we cheer for others? It's all about Jesus. What is preaching? It's proclaiming the message. Who do we preach? We preach Jesus Christ. Why do we preach? Third question. A lot of things, I think, need to change in church. But as we change, listen, as we change, we need to ask ourselves, what cannot change? Now, don't miss this. A lot of things need to change, but while we're changing, let's ask ourselves this question, what, what can't change? You see, the reason churches have died, listen, is not because of things that have changed that needed to change. Amen to that. You see, it's, it's the things that have changed that should not have changed. Churches can get rid of a lot of things. I don't look for us to ever have a pipe organ, okay? <laughs> I mean, some church, hey, there's probably a few old-timers here that like pipe organs. I guarantee you everybody 30 and under could care less. <laughs> I don't like a pipe. I don't have any friends that like pipe organs, okay? So if you like them, don't tell me about it because, oh, no, I'm just kidding, all right? I'm kind of joking about it to say that we're probably not going to bring in a big old pipe organ in the church today. That can change. It's okay that we don't have a big high church pipe organ here. That's okay. If we had one, it'd be okay too, but we don't, so we're not going to spend the money getting one. Robed choirs can go. You don't have to have robed choirs to be spiritual. Sunday school, it can go. Doesn't, you don't have to have Sunday school. It's not, there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to have a pipe organ, you have to have robed choirs, and you have to have Sunday school. Most churches that are growing have changed all that. But to many churches, too many churches have changed the method of the delivery of the message. That's a problem. We don't want to change the method of the delivery of the message because God's word declares how it should be delivered. And if God's word does not command it, we have a lot of freedom in, in how we do things in ministry. But if God's word declares that it has to be done a certain way, we don't have the option of letting that method go out of style. And so there are some things that God says it has to be done this way that we don't have the luxury or the liberty to say we're going to change that. No, we can't change that. God said that has to be done that way. So how does it have to be done? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. Why do we preach? Look at it. Paul then says, after he says, save Jesus Christ and him crucified, he says, and I was with you in weakness. That word weakness is speaking of his physical body, his physicality. In other words, literally Paul was broken. He came to the pulpit every, every time weakened. Notice it says, and in fear... And in much trembling. 
You see, I propose to you today that preaching is very humbling. It's very humbling. And you know what I've learned? I've learned I don't need to sign Bibles, okay? I don't need to sign Bibles. That puffs me up too much. I don't need to be a big shot preacher. And, and I don't need a big old pulpit that separates me from you. What preaching is, is it's humbling. You know who I'm preaching to today? I'm preaching to a group of people that know me better than anybody else. You know my faults. You know my weaknesses. You know me. You know my family. You know the burdens we've carried. You know the things we've been through. And to stand up in front of people who know you as you really are, who know your strengths, who know your weaknesses, and to be faithful to your calling for 21 years, that's humbling. I do that in fear and trembling. Listen, folks, there were times when I wanted to run. I I wanted to leave. Man, this is a tough job. This is a hard job. This is not something that I just say, I can't wait to get up there and give people a little piece of my mind. I'm scared every Sunday. God is listening to what I preach. I'm going to stand and give an account for every word. And I don't want to stand and give an account for preaching my opinion and what I think and what some movement says. I want to preach God's word, and it scares me half to death. And I join Paul in a weakened state this morning in fear and trembling before an almighty God. And I say, God, I can't do this without you. I'd rather resign and sit in the pew and listen to preaching than stand up here and preach in the flesh and in my own strength. Preaching is humbling. It's humbling. And the weight of the responsibility week after week, month after month, year after year for 21 years now. Listen, sometimes when I'm preaching, I feel such spiritual oppression, I can't explain it. Sometimes it's because someone is sleeping in the service. Other times it's because someone is obviously not listening, maybe on their cell phone or, or, or talking in the service or, or just kind of making a mockery of what's going on. Other times it's because maybe somebody just kind of walks out or, or, they, or, or you see something going on. And, and, and listen, it, if you for 21 years were standing where I'm standing as some of you have before, you, you know this, the devil is attacking the preacher while he preaches. But this is so important. This is so important. And I'm beginning to understand that it's so important. I want the glory to come down. I want Jesus to manifest himself in this building while I'm preaching his word. So why do we preach? We preach so that people can hear the voice of God. That's why we preach. We don't preach so people can hear my voice. We preach so people can hear the voice of God. I love the quote that Jesus gave to his disciples in Luke chapter 10 in verse number 16. It's on the screen. It says, look at this. He that heareth you heareth me. That's all I want to read in that verse. There's a whole lot more. But just think about it. He that heareth you heareth me. Oh, my soul. Preachers, are you with me? Think about that. He that heareth you heareth me. This is the idea that God is speaking through the preached word. A theologian by the name of Bart said it like this. Through the activity of preaching, God himself speaks. God loves preaching. 
And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, again in verse number 21, it says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, and it pleased God. It pleased God. God loves preaching. It pleased him that by the foolishness of preaching, you could save them that believe. And we're the only Bible this careless world will read. We are the voice of God. I love Sundays. I love Sundays. I love them. I do. Listen, I want to do my best, and I know God will do the rest. I just want to be prepared. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I I want to come broken. I want to come weak. I want to come and say, God, listen, I I don't have much to offer, but I'm going to give it all I've got, and you just do the rest. You take over, God. That's me from here until I die. No more trying to make some institution happy and some, some man happy and some diploma happy. It's all about making him happy from here on out. That's just who I am now. I'm trying to please Jesus with my preaching because this is the method that God has chosen to speak to us and to humble us, preaching. How do we preach? Number, number four, how do we preach? 1 Corinthians 2, 4 tells us how to preach. And my speech, Paul said, and my preaching was not, so here's not how to preach, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. First notice, not with enticing. Can I tell you what that means? It literally means this, not my opinion. Not manipulation. Is anybody, and you don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to, but has anybody ever been in a service where there's been manipulation going on? Yes, I have. Manipulation. Preachers can, in the flesh, can manipulate a decision, can manipulate a crowd. Hey, listen, uh, you're going to split hell wide open, pray this prayer. Listen, look at me, look up here if you don't pray this. And we manipulate certain things, and we call people out, and we point people out, and we call names. If we, and if, listen, that's all enticing words of man's wisdom. That's manipulation at its finest. My opinion doesn't matter. Who cares what I think? Who cares? Church is not for me to get up here and tell you who I think is going to win the uh, college basketball tournament. Who cares what I think? We can talk about that, you know, at the coffee shop. I'm not here to to entice you with my opinion and and, and manipulate you to, to believe like I believe. Enticing words meaning lofty speech. Listen, I should be looking for ways to get lower. Again, not, not to be lofty. Let me give you some types of lofty preaching in churches. Number one, there's high church. High church. Uh, that's the liturgy of the, of the lofty. That's the, we've already kind of talked about high church. You know, the high church preachers. I mean, we're up here and you're down here. And then there's liberal church. That's where the preacher is lofty. They, they don't really believe anything. They just want to make sure that, you know, that, that, um, you know, that, that they are uh, famous and they have an agenda and they're Dr. So-and-so and their name's in lights. That's the liberal church. Then there's the relevance church. This is where the people are lofty and every decision that is made, oh, that would offend someone. Don't say sin. Don't say hell. Uh, don't, don't preach that. Don't do that. Let's just give the people what they want. That's relevance church. Then there's sentimental church. Sentimental church, and that's the manipulative church. That's the church that's always trying to make you feel a certain way. But Paul said in verse 4, I didn't do any of that. I didn't do that. So how do we preach? We say what the Bible says. 
That's how we preach. We say what the Bible says about what it says, and then if it says something about what it says, about what it says, we say that too. That's what we do. We preach what the Bible says. I hesitated to do this, but I may end up going about five minutes over this morning, so please forgive me. Got this from a preacher friend yesterday. So what is the root problem of most of our IFB churches? The problem that drives many younger pastors away is the abundant misuse of Scripture. Many in the IFB movement talk about the authority of Scripture, but it's clear from their practice that it is only a theory to be discussed, not a principle to be applied. The issue is not that people preach that women should not wear pants. It is that many misuse the Bible in an attempt to validate their extra-biblical principles and preferences. The issue is not that some pastors are KJV only. It is that they misuse the Bible to teach a misguided view of preservation. It's true. The issue is not a version of the Bible, it's the misuse of the Bible. The issue is that many in the movement determine what they want to preach and then use the Bible as support material for their topic rather than letting the power of Scripture be communicated through careful, exegetical study and faithful expository preaching. The problem is not that some younger pastors are leaving the camp. It is that many within the IFB movement prioritize the camp over the kingdom. And as a result, many misuse the Bible in an attempt to keep up their appearance in the movement. The problem is not the so-called Calvinism, looser living, and progressive entertaining styles of worship, however they are defined. The problem is that the Bible is misused in an attempt to preach against those issues. No real sound biblical response is given by most in the IFB movement. The problem is not that young IFBs are being lured away by intellectual liberals. The problem is the abundance of anti-intellectualism within many of our churches. The problem is that independent Baptist fundamentalism is more known for its separation over extra-biblical issues instead of the doctrinal fidelity for which it began. Separation was once preached to warn Christians of the dangers of doctrinal heresy. Now separation is preached in an effort to keep a dwindling movement alive by being sure all IFBs agree on the laundry list of extra-biblical issues. And so we're not going to be that way anymore because, or at least I'm not. You can vote me out. But that, that's, I can't do it, church. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I've, I've got to preach the word of God and not extra biblical preferences. I just can't do it. You say, well, have you, had, have you been uncomfortable? Sure, I've been uncomfortable. It's been different. You're not the only one that's had to adjust. I've had to adjust. But I am so thankful that God is changing me. And I tell you what. If I was starting a church right now, it would be different. But I'm not. I'm pastoring the same one for 21 years. And I guess that's a good thing, but sometimes I wonder. You know, I do. I wonder if you want me anymore. You know, I don't know. I say that. That sounds awful. But I just want to make sure you understand. It's God that's doing this work in me. Nobody, I'm not meeting with anybody. I'm not, I'm not getting, I'm not having weekly phone calls with some progressive pastor and he's coaching me. On a, I don't have a coach. It's the Holy Spirit. That's all I talk to. What happens when we preach? Well, if we preach God's word without apology and, and hear from God, he's going to move us. He's going to move us. That's the glory coming down. Look at verse 4 and 5. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's it. That's it. 
It's not about the wisdom of man. It's not about approval, approval of man. It's about standing up here with the approval of God and in the power of God so that the glory can come down, revealing the power of God through the word of God. When the man of God, in the fear of God, takes the word of God and proclaims the heart of God, it is the power of God coming down. That's what it's all about. Power to save. Power to heal. Power to change. Power to convict. Power to correct. Please pray for me and others in our church who stand behind this pulpit and do that. That's what we want to do. We want to preach in the power of the word of God. So what can you do? I'll give you four things and I'll close. Number one, you can attend the word of God. You can attend the word of God. Hebrews 10.25 says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. You can be here every Sunday morning. If you can't make it Sunday morning, Sunday night at 6 o'clock, same service. You can be here. Just be faithful. Be faithful to attend the Word of God in our congregational meeting every Sunday. Be in your place. Be where you're supposed to be. Bring people with you. Invite others. You can attend the Word of God. Don't come to church once a month. Don't come to church when it's convenient. Come to church and be faithful. Attend. Number two, you can accept the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. Isn't that beautiful? You can receive, you can accept the word of God. When God's word says do this, do it. Amen? If God's word doesn't say do this, then there's a gray area and... That's okay. But if God's word says do this, then do it. Accept it. Receive it. Receive it. Number three, apply the word of God. James 1.22, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Nothing great happens because you've heard the message. You know what most Christians do? Honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. Do you know what most of you do? Do you know what almost all of you do? You just hear the word of God. That's all you do. But we don't do it. If we did it, this would look a whole lot different this morning. If we did what God says to do, we would be bringing sinners to church. We'd be inviting people. We'd be, we, that'd be, it'd be a whole lot different in, our, in the atmosphere of our... Honestly, we hear God's word. We're good hearers. But we, we don't really think about the message after we leave. That's a good message, Pastor. Can't wait till next Sunday. Please, wait till next Sunday. Start working on this Monday. You've got six weeks, let's, six days. Let's get this down. Let's work on this. Let's do it, not just hear it. And then appreciate the word of God. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, 97. Jesus Christ, isn't he awesome? He is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. And I'm not, I don't regret my past. I'm thankful for the, for the church I was saved in. I'm thankful for my heritage. I am. I'm not hating on anybody today. I'm just simply saying that God has done a work in my heart. And I want God's glory to come down in our church. And I know it's going to take a biblical preacher for it to happen. And so pray for me as I try to become that kind of preacher for you or for whoever God wants me to be. Let's bow our heads, shall we?
with heads bowed and eyes closed. So what is our future? Preacher, what is, what is our future? You said something about our future. Is there something I haven't heard about? Is there something I need to know? Yes. Here's our future. Preaching the authority of God's word without apology in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're okay with that, you're going to like our future. You're going to like it. If you're okay with that, preaching the authority of God's word without apology in the power of the Holy Spirit. If, you, if, if that sounds good to you, you're going to like the future of this church because that's what brings the glory down. If you're here in this building and, and you're not sure if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven, you heard the gospel from Billy Graham, didn't you? Didn't he give it clear? Wasn't that just a clear presentation? Number one, repent, <laughs> believe, and follow. There it was. If you need to be saved today, if this is the day that, that God has convicted you of your sin, and you know it, and you know it, you know that if you died right now, that you're not sure that you would go to heaven, I want to invite you to come forward, step out, walk this aisle, take one of our pastors by the hand up front here, and just tell them, I have come to be saved today. Just tell them. Don't be ashamed. Just tell them. They would love to talk with you about that. Don't, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Maybe you're here today, and God has spoken to your heart about something in the message, about preaching, about praying for your pastor, about getting behind the church as we go forward. If you need to come and pray, the invitation will be open. I don't know how the Holy Spirit has dealt with your heart. I only know how he has dealt with mine. And so we're going to open this thing up after I pray. Father, I love you, and I thank you for this service. Please give power in this invitation. Manifest yourself in each pew and in each seat. Touch the hearts of God's people. And I pray that if there's someone here today that needs to be saved, they would come and be saved right now. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand? Would you do that right now? Everyone standing, if you need to come, our invitation is open. We're here. That came for us, humble to a sinner's cross. You broke my shame. 